Great. I'm so looking forward to um, sharing God's Word with us this morning. If you're here for the first time this morning, then uh, you're very welcome. Uh, Lovely to see you this morning. Do come and say hi. Uh, Tell us uh, your story if you're just visiting. Also, you're very, very welcome. And uh, it's great to see you this morning. I don't know what your um, preferred movie genre is. We're going to start there, all right? We're going to start with some movie talk. So uh, my personal movie, movie genre preference is uh, usually something a bit action, uh, sort of a little bit, maybe a bit gory. Uh, but my alternative go-to is probably something a little bit sort of cop drama, something a little bit sort of strategic, some sort of uh, 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 something that's got to be worked out. And uh, I don't know whether you, you saw it, but there was uh, some, a couple of films that came out recently with Daniel Craig talking in a very strange Southern American accent, all right? The Southern are sort of, I can't even do it, this kind of Southern American drawl. And it was, uh, it was quite, quite unusual seeing Daniel Craig in that, uh, I was called, like used to bond, and then there's this kind of weird thing going on. And the, the set of films was called Knives Out. Anyone seen that, the Knives Out series? And uh, there's, there's since been a, a sequel called The Glass Onion, and uh, the new, good news is there's another one coming. <laughs> So excited. They're great films. But there's something a little bit unusual. There's a point to my reference. There's, there's something unusual about the, uh, the Knives Out films, and, th- and that is they tell the story of the film, but from different people's perspectives. So throughout the film, you don't just get one narrative. You get multiple viewpoints in. And as you go through and you see different people's narratives and viewpoints, it changes what you think. What you thought you knew wasn't quite the same because something changed when you got a different viewpoint. It makes you revisit what you think. And uh, our scripture today uh, is somewhat similar. Now, we're in, we're in our Joseph series. Uh, we've reached Genesis 43, and I'm going to come and summarize that in a second. But the brothers are preparing to go back to Egypt. Joseph has demanded they bring their younger brother, Benjamin, with them. Uh, and we're going to take a look at some of the main characters in this scripture as we understand their perspective. And I'm praying that God will speak to us uh, in different ways and that are relevant to our lives and situations today. But before we do that, let's hear the scripture read. And then I'll come back up. Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. 
If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us, and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them, and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother, of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother. And he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself, and then by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. 
portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. Okay, so quite a long chapter we're going to cover today in this story, but before we do that, let me just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this series that we are in. And I just pray that the truth of your word and your gospel would enrich our hearts this morning. And I pray that you would give me your words to speak this morning uh, as we go through this chapter in Genesis, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're quite a long way into our uh, Joseph story, so it's quite hard to recap where we're at uh, in the short amount of time that we've got, but I thought I'd try and do that quite quickly in one-word statements, all right? So you've got you to hold on to this one. You've got to try and keep up. So here we go. Brothers, favoured, coat, dreams, betrayed, slavery, appointed, favoured, accused, imprisoned, forgotten, restored, dreams, interpretation, appointed, Rain, famine, brothers, pain, forgiveness. Got it? Great. That's where we're at. So anyway, here we are in chapter 43. We've been through quite a journey already. And a bit like chapter 42, the family of Jacob are running out of food again. And he knows that they will starve and die if they don't get enough to live on. To give you some context, just to uh, going and getting some grain for the family uh, from Canaan to Egypt, it's about a three-month round trip. This isn't a quick pop down to Tesco's, all right? Jacob probably realizes they've got about three to six months worth of provisions left, which is why he needs to send his sons down. And he's prevaricating a little bit about them going, which is why he says, we could have been and gone twice at the time you've made a decision. He also knew that traveling this distance and time was going to be dangerous and even perilous, which is why he was reluctant to let his youngest son go with his older brothers. So what I want to do this morning is take this story and look at it from a couple of different perspectives and from different characters within the story. Let's start with, uh, with Jacob. And what I'm going to do is just take us back a little bit with each of these characters to give us some context. We look at Jacob's story right back to his birth. He had tried to control everything. He was the second out of his mother's womb, but it says his hand came out and tried to grab the heel of his brother. He cheated his brother out of his birthright by pretending to be Esau. He eventually married his cousin, tricked his uncle out of most of his cattle. He wrestled with God whilst on the run from his brother's anger, and he favored his son Joseph, causing jealousy amongst his other sons in the early part of our series. We heard that he was devastated when he believed that he was dead and that his favorite son had gone and been betrayed and sold by his brothers. So Jacob's quite a character. But what we see in chapter 42 and 43 is we start to see a different side to Jacob. Having experienced what he believed to be the pain of loss and the grief that he had endured over losing his son Joseph, he was not prepared to let go of Benjamin. Benjamin was his youngest was now strongly becoming probably his favorite, and he didn't want to let him go. He couldn't go through that pain and grief again. The end of chapter 42, Jacob says, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. Now, if you're the other 10 brothers, you're thinking, uh, 10 more of us? 
It's like he's the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. So he is resistant. He doesn't want Benjamin to go. He's trying to control the situation again by holding on to something that he believed was key. But he, he, Benjamin needed to go. He was part of the transaction that was required for the family to go down and get grain from Egypt. And so eventually, Jacob relents and instead turns to trying to buy his way out of the situation to ensure he gets what he wants, which is ultimately his sons to return. And in verse 11 and 12, it says, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags, carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, etc., etc. He's loading them up with presents to give to the man, i.e. Joseph, when they arrive, and take double the money with you and carry back the money with you that was returned. So he's, he's putting together quite a package for his sons to go down and to buy his son Simeon back and ensure also that Benjamin comes back too. So he's again, he's still trying to control everything with what he does. But he also knew that the family would die if they did not get grain. There was a famine across the whole land, and it was severe. So he tries to hold them back, but Joseph wants to see his only brother from the same mother. We'll come on to that in a minute. And so Benjamin must go. And if you look back at chapter, the end of chapter 42, there's this moment where Jacob just doesn't trust Reuben. Reuben, the oldest brother, so probably the one who in Hebrew law would be the, uh, the, the sort of the favored child, should be the favored child, the firstborn, the promised one, the heir. He was willing to put up his own children as collateral for Benjamin's return. And Jacob was not impressed. And Jacob wasn't even willing at this stage to go himself. And go on the journey. But to be fair, he was probably about 130 years old. I'm not sure I'd want to travel for three months if I was 130. Bad enough going anywhere at my age these days. And eventually he ends up with this grumpy sulk that we read. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. He's done. But the, the guys have got to go. They've got to go. They've got to go and get grain for the family. And Jacob's protection of Benjamin really is all about self-interest. He's not really thinking about, you know, we, we need the grain. I just don't want to lose my son. I'm fed up of, of being in pain. And what Jacob can't see is what's coming. He can't see that there is restoration around the corner, not just with the sons that he knows about, but also with his whole family. And, and to be often, I think this is often a lot like us. Right? In, in different situations. Are we experienced something not going to plan? Or experienced maybe the pain of loss, maybe a job or a relationship? Often we can't see what God is doing in those moments. And we try to work it out for ourselves. We try to get ourselves out of the situation. We try to engineer it to the right end. We can't move past the pain. We can't let go of the past. And we become stuck and often, God chooses to allow us to walk through a trial. Did you know that? It's like, yep, I feel it. I'm there. 
I'm hearing what you're saying. You are talking to me. Great. God often chooses to walk us through a trial, and then we may go through something similar to see if we learn from the last one. That's really annoying. Really annoying when God does that. It's like, yeah, yeah, I did that. Heard what happened. Didn't like it. Let's move on. And God's like, yeah, I'm sure you quite learned from that. Let's, let's, let's try that again, shall we? And see whether you really are trusting me. And so we need to ask ourselves, have we moved to a place of trusting God? Have we learned not to stand on our own two feet, but to lean into him? Don't be surprised to see those things repeat themselves if you're not trusting God for the outcome and for restoration. I've often saying in my preaches, but God. And here's another one. But God, who can do immeasurably more than we can imagine, can break in to our circumstances if we allow him to. That's the point. If we allow him to, if we stop standing on our own two feet and trying to engineer our own outcome and we have faith in God, he will bring restoration and he will take us through into a more promised land. Maybe today is the day that we bring some things before him. I love what, where we were going in our worship. I love what John led us in this morning and what Mike helped us with. Maybe the today is the day where we bring some things before God again and say, your way, not mine. I trust in your sovereignty. I'm going to walk by faith, trusting you for every step. Here's a quote that I, I read this week that just might help summarize this for us. Sometimes the end of ourselves is the beginning of God's plan. Are we willing to allow ourselves to come to an end, to trust him, to fulfill his plan? Okay, so that's Jacob. Let's look at the brothers. Different perspective again. So in the previous chapter, you may remember that Joseph has accused his brothers of being spies. In chapter 42, he kept Simeon under lock and key as a deposit for them to return with Benjamin. It was all about Joseph wanting to see his younger brother, Benjamin. He said, I'm going to hold on to Simeon. You go back. You bring Benjamin down. We'll talk. And they got back and find the money they had used to pay for the grain. They were sent to collect in the back of their sacks. And they were afraid. They're sitting there thinking, this guy's accused us of being spies. Now he's going to accuse us of being thieves. We've got the grain and we've got the money. This is not good. I think I'd be a little bit nervous at that point. They have to go back. They can't lose Simeon. Jacob cannot lose another son. They know what it will do to their dad. That would just be utter devastation. So they know they're going to have to go back, but they don't want this accusation of both thieves and spies being added to it. It won't go well for them. So in their afraidness and their fear, and now they have to go back again. Remember, this is another three-month trip that they've got to go on. This is hard work around perilous countryside. And the brothers return back into Joseph's court. We read it here, burdened with guilt. They return with double the money, hoping to pay back the debt they owe. And they start off with a doorstep conversation with the steward of Joseph's house. Again, they were afraid to go in because they know they don't deserve it. And verse 18, 18 says, And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house, and they said, It's because of the money. They know 
because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may assault us and fall on us and make us his servants and seize our donkeys. That's what they're worried about. We go back, we're in trouble. We're going to have to fess up. We're going to have to put our hands up and say, we're sorry. And they come with excuses and payments because that's what their dad has done. He's put on them, they've got to pay their way out. But these don't work. And they're invited into the palace. And they're probably sitting there thinking to themselves, squeaky bum time, here we go. We are going to be in front of Joseph. We are thieves, we're spies. He's got our brother. We bought the other brother. Dad didn't want us to go. We're in trouble. Verse 22 says, Oh my Lord, we come down the first time to buy food, and when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks. Each man's money was in the mouth of the sack, our money in full weight. We have brought it with us again. And we've brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. They now feel like they're starting to plea for their life. But instead of judgment and retribution, what do they get? That's what they're expecting. That's not what they receive. They receive kindness and compassion and discover the unexpected. And to top it all, they get a feast. Verse 23 says, Peace to you. Do not be afraid, says Joseph. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received the money. So the guilt was misplaced and Joseph has brought peace to the situation and said, it's okay, don't worry. And I think what we see here is just a beautiful picture of us coming to God and his gift of grace. How often do we come with our stuff, our good works, even our version of religion or traditions, and he just says, come in, just come in. None of it matters. Here is my free gift to you this morning. And we often sing a song here in Shoreham that brilliantly speaks directly to our identity in God. Some of the lyrics say, Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. In my father's house, there's a place for me. Why? Because I'm a child of God. I'm chosen I'm not forsaken. I am who I say I am. And the band are now saying, should we do that after he finishes preaching? (laughs) You can do it if you want. Common question, common question that was often put to Jesus during his ministry was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus describes eternity as his father's house. In John 14, verse 2 to 3, we read, in my father's house... There are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place? Who for? For you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I may, that where I am, you may also be. So God is inviting us into this house. But he doesn't just sit in his father's house waiting for you to arrive. You could do, quite happily. Probably a very nice place to sit and be in the presence of God and just dwell and say, I'll just wait for the, uh, wait for the minions to come. But no, it's not what God does. Jesus himself comes to us. 
comes to us, to grab us, to take us into relationship, back to the house of his father. And it says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. We were reminded this week in another sermon to think about Jesus and Zacchaeus. Again, perfect picture. Come down the, I want to eat with you. I'm coming into your house. I'm coming into your situation. I'm coming into your mess. And I'm coming to eat with you. And I'm coming to take hold of you and to lead you to my father's house. That is what Jesus is doing. The brothers were common foreigners coming into a royal house, the richest house in the world. Their money didn't mean anything. We also can't come to God with anything in our hands. We come empty-handed this morning. God's, that's where good works don't endear us to God this morning. Hallelujah. They were expecting a transaction instead. They got relationship. Come and eat with me. A wonderful picture of grace. If you're into fridge magnets or Bible bookmarks with quotes on, here's one for you to consider. Mercy is letting us off what we know we deserve. But grace is giving us blessings that we couldn't even imagine. That's what's going on here in this story. This is a perfect foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to come and do in the New Testament and bring grace to us. The grace of God is now and eternal. We can believe him for good things. It takes faith to have a posture of expecting God's blessing, especially when all we have experienced in our life before Jesus is famine, like the brothers were experiencing at this time. If we're going to live in the promises of God or go back to our past experiences in the wilderness, don't be afraid, says this passage. Don't worry, says the Lord. I'm here. Come into my house. All right, we're going to take quick, two other quick views. Benjamin. Let's look at the story of Benjamin here. The emotional heart of this passage, I think, is Joseph laying eyes on Benjamin when he arrives. And it says he is overwhelmed. We sang it this morning even. I'm overwhelmed. Verse 30. Then Joseph hurried out for his compassion, grew warm for his brothers, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. You have to know the backstory here a little bit about Jacob's wives and their sons' birth mothers. So Rachel was Jacob's favorite wife, if you're allowed to have a favorite wife. I have a favorite wife. <laughs> Fortunately, she's the only one I've got. Benjamin and Jacob, sorry, Benjamin and Joseph were Jacob's last two children, and they were both born to Rachel after she had been barren and unable to conceive. There's clearly a special bond between the two of them, something unique that binds them together. And Benjamin would also not have been complicit or involved in Joseph's being sold into slavery by his brothers. He was too young at that point. So he doesn't hold him accountable for what happened to him. So he really misses Benjamin. He really longs to see him. And so we read that Benjamin receives even more grace, or as some would say, grace upon grace. And the text tells us in 30, verse 34 that during the feast in the master's house, portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as many as the others. So there's a real bestowing of blessing upon Benjamin. 
And as I read through this, and some of us were chatting a few weeks ago in preparation for today, there's real prodigal son vibes in this story as well, right? Can you hear it? Older brothers still get grace. They get personalized seats in order of their age to be part of the feast and to receive from the master's table. But it is the youngest brother that is particularly celebrated over. The one who, from Joseph's perspective, was lost, but is now going to be restored. The overwhelming reaction of the saviour towards the one. Both this and the prodigal son parable are given to us really just to demonstrate the heart of God, the nature of God, the God that redeems the prodigals. The God who has a special place in his heart for the one who are lost and he finds. So Joseph had effectively lost his relationship with Benjamin, his only true birth brother, for probably about 20 years. And in getting the other brothers to bring him to himself, Joseph sought out his brother, and now for the first time his relationship with him is being restored in this moment. In the same way that Jesus seeks us out, and wants to have a relationship with us, commune with us. This, friends, is the heart of the gospel. And then just finally looking at Judah. This is interesting. As the fourth son, even of the first wife, Judah had no particular prominence of any description in the family line. All right, because it's all about Reuben. Reuben's the firstborn, Joseph, and then Benjamin as the youngest with a favorite. Middle child syndrome. If you're the one in the middle, tough luck. He would not have had the privileges of being the firstborn, nor would he have had the special love of being the youngest. As with other brothers, this feeling of unfairness amongst the siblings grew into bitter jealousy that led to Joseph's betrayal. When they throw Joseph into the pit, it was Judah's idea to sell him into slavery. Do you remember that? There's a connection back here. What profit is it? If we kill our brother and conceal his blood, come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, back in Genesis 37. So rather than having the guilt of a brother's blood on his hands directly, Judah makes a calculated decision and says, put him into slavery. And then a little bit earlier in his life, looking back again, the woman that God used to convict and transform Judah's life was not even his wife. Three sons came from that marriage, but when the oldest grew up, uh, he then married a young woman named Tamar. And God convicted him of his wickedness and how he treated her. And he declared, she is more righteous than I. And we did that a few weeks ago. We talked about that story. He acknowledges his own failings in that moment. And in that moment, there is an act of repentance in Judah. And after this incident, Judah's character begins to change. He cares for Tamar's twins. He takes responsibility for his actions. He acknowledges his faults. And the Bible starts to present him very differently from there on out because he's listened to God and what he wants to do. The transformation of Judah and his rise to leadership amongst his brothers becomes more apparent when looking at the way Reuben and Judah react to the demand to bring Benjamin to Egypt. I think I mentioned just earlier, Reuben had made this terrible decision to try and convince his dad the best way to promise to bring Benjamin back was, if I don't, take the kids. Don't need them. You can have them. You can do what you need to do as recompense if I don't bring 
Benjamin back. But that wasn't right. And Judas steps in. Judas says, no, no, no. I will be Benjamin's security. I will be the collateral. I will be the sacrifice if something happens to Benjamin. He starts to assume a much more prominent leadership role in the family at this point and realizes the whole process has got to change. And you see that Jacob relents. The whole family would have starved. Judah steps up, takes Reuben's role as leader. They go back. They know Benjamin must be with them. And Judah said to his Israel's father, send the boy with me and we will arise. I will pledge for his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. In Egypt, he acts as a spokesman for the family, not any of his older brothers. When Benjamin is accused of stealing a cup in the next chapter, spoiler alert, because we'll do this next week, he still did not know who it was, and Judah again offers himself as the ransom for his brother's life to Joseph. He's taking responsibility. Judah's life provides a really strong example of how God can transform and use anybody for his purposes, even someone who made an absolute pig's ear of it and really messed some people up in the process. But he came through. He was an unimportant son who grew into a callous teenager and a poor poor father. And here it is again. But God used his sin to convict him of his unrighteousness, put his life on a different course, And in that moment, Judah became godlier and his descendants would continue right through to the birth of Jesus. That is how important Judah became. And if you think about the connection, sometimes we don't make the connections, we just take things on face value. We sing songs, son of David, lion of Judah, when we're singing about Jesus. Jesus is directly descended from Judah's line. No one is beyond God's reach. No one is beyond God's hope. And through Jesus's, sorry, Judah's descendants, mankind has the promise of salvation and everlasting life. Amen? I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Just wanted to give you some different perspectives this morning. In a story all about Joseph, we've talked about anybody but Joseph, and we're going to do a lot of that next week. But I wanted to really draw out of this chapter just some important things that I just felt the Holy Spirit just nudge me with this week. And maybe he nudged you this morning. Is there something you can relate with? Maybe you relate to Jacob this morning. Reluctant, holding back, trying to stay in control, lacking faith, maybe buffeted by the trials of life. Is that you this morning? Maybe you relate to the brothers Are you trying to transact with God this morning for your salvation? Are you missing the free gift of grace that he brings? Maybe you relate to Benjamin. Have you missed the love and care of your brother Jesus? Do you need a prodigal return to him this morning and to know the embrace of his loving arms? Or maybe you long and pray for a prodigal family member to be restored. Or maybe you relate to Judah. Do you think there's no way back this morning 
You have no idea what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. How could Jesus ever love me? You just end with this. I just want to read from Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at working within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.